Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening. Thank you for joining us again. Another beautiful Thursday evening. Uh, to walk through the word of the Lord, our God, uh, through our Word of Life Bible study, uh, where we are, where we have been teaching now for quite some time on getting to know the Holy Spirit, uh, and we've been doing this for almost a year now. And what I'm reminded of is that if we try to rush through the things that God is trying to get to us, we'll miss out on some things. So uh, I know we've been in this book for a long time in this particular subject matter for a long time, but there's so much to uh, getting to know the Holy Spirit, and even with all of that, we are still not uh, even scratching the surface of who the Holy Spirit is. But we are going to get started here tonight um, uh, by uh, reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Then we're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we will get started with our teaching that, that from that moment. Our, our scripture and our prayer will be given by our executive pastor, Dr. Julian Jones. Our scripture will be coming from Ephesians 4.11. And he himself gave some, of, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors. And teachers. Father God, thank you for the word we just heard in the mighty name of Jesus. We come before you today to give you all praise and to give you all honor, Father God, and just to bless you. Hallelujah. With the fruit of our lips in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for being Lord. We thank you for being God. We thank you for being our Savior. We thank you for the word that we're about to hear, Father God. As we chew on it, Father God, let it be. A marrow to our bones, Father God, so we can grow thereby and grow in the best knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that are on the call. Hallelujah, Father God. And we just thank you, Father God, that they're coming to hear a word from on high. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give your name all the glory and the honor and the praise. Hallelujah, Father God. We thank you for the word that's coming forth, Father God, that it will come forth with boldness and clarity. And we pray against any hindering spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, we say amen, and again, we say amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Executive Pastor, for reading uh, for reading that word on this evening as we prepare to get started. If you have your Bibles, um, why don't you go ahead and you turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be getting there in just a moment, but I want to finish on uh, what we left, where we left off on last Friday, last Thursday, in teaching on the getting to, uh, in our teachings on getting to know the Holy Spirit, we were focusing on the, on evangelism, evangelism, a call that is a call for every believer uh, to step up to the plate and begin to share their faith with others. Uh, and so, what accompanies the ministry of evangelism is the ministry of mercy. 
a ministry that includes caring for people, the poor and the needy, in the name of the Lord. Jesus tells us this, love your enemies and do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And that you'll find that in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. That is Luke chapter 6. For those of you who are making notes, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. The point of Jesus' explanation is that we are to imitate God in being kind to those who are being ungrateful and selfish as well. We are not to just treat everybody else the same, treat everybody, treat those who treat us well, well, but to treat everyone, even those who don't deserve to be treated well, who are selfish and unkind. So by way of example, Jesus did not try to heal only those who accepted him as the Messiah. Instead, when great crowds came to him, Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, tells us that Jesus You ready? He laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. Another reason we evangelize is so that we can be seen. Well, we can't see it in the book of Acts. Acts is another way that, another example that we can follow for why we evangelize. In Acts, there is a frequent connection between proclaiming the gospel, even in the face of opposition. So many of us and this is the key thing to remember. Many of us are afraid to evangelize because we, for, for all kinds of reasons, number one, we think that people will, will think ill of us, they will reject us. We think that people will uh, not want to listen to us. We think that uh, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to share our faith. But there is a way of sharing your faith. And what I love about this ministry is that both my, both my wife and I have been trained and how to teach how to teach others how to share their faith, how to evangelize. And it's very simple once you get once you come to know how to do it. And it's a beautiful thing to just watch the the eyes of people open up and they and they get excited and they want Jesus Christ and they accept him. The biggest mistake any one of us can make is to assume that because of the way a person looks or because of the way a person behaves or because of the way a person, because of where a person lives or because of the way a person dresses, you know, all of these different things that we look at to judge people, if we were not to just look at them in a judgmental way but just look at them the way Christ looked at them. And the way, how did Christ look at them? He looked at them in a way that said that they are worthy of the opportunity to receive eternal life. That's why he died on the cross, not just for some, but for all. He understood that everybody would not accept him, but he died for the case, for the, for the opportunity for everybody, excluding no one, to accept him as Savior. And so Acts shows us that even in the face of opposition, you still share the gospel. You still evangelize. And evangelize is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can go even in the, op- in the face of opposition and you can share your faith. As I said last Thursday, there are three people that are involved in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ or evangelizing, always three people. It is you as the person that's sharing your faith with some, and, and it's the person that you're sharing it with, so it's you, the person you're sharing it with, and the Holy Spirit. 
You need the three of you in order for the one of them to be saved. And you need the three of you in order for you to be effective in sharing your faith with someone else. It's important. You'll find that in, you can turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and along with verses 14 through 36. Also, Acts chapter 4, verses 8 and 31. And I hope I'm not going too fast. And if, if I am, just tell me and I'll slow down so you can write these down. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and verse 20, along with Acts chapter 13, verses 9 and 52. So evangelism is a means not only of mercy, but also of grace, not only in the sense that it ministers saving grace to, um, to the unsaved, but also because those who evangelize experience more of the Holy Spirit's presence and blessing in their lives. Let me see if I can make this a little bit simpler for you. If you have muscles in your body, and you do, in your legs, if you don't use them, what happens to them? They get weak, right? They atrophy. But as you use them, they become stronger. And as they become stronger, you are able to move a lot quicker. You're able to move a lot more effortlessly than, than when you first started when your muscles were very weak. Well, the more that you share your faith, the more the Holy Spirit is going to be there with you and move in you and through you to bless not only our lives but their lives as well the people who are whom we are sharing the gospel with. Sometimes evangelism is carried out by individuals, but at other times it is, cor it is a corporate activity. It is the corporate activity of, of the church uh, as an evangelist campaign. Let me, let me say this. One of the core values, our second core value uh, for, for Jesus Christ Ministries Global is, 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 is individuals, personal and, and corporate evangelism. It is something we do on our own with the, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and it's something we do as a body, an organized uh, ministry that goes forth to share the gospel with people that we encounter in malls or on the streets, corners, or in the neighborhood, wherever we go. So, and, and uh, even individual evangelism is often involved, involves other church members who will welcome uh, an unbelieving visitor and give attention to his or her needs. So evangelism is rightly considered a means of grace in the church. We are commanded to evangelize because there are people that God knows once they hear the gospel, they will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and that they will confess their sins and repent of the way their uh, repent of their way of life. And, and what I mean by repent of their way of life, they will turn away from and start living differently than they currently are living. Uh, so, so if your if your world is um, so if you're a man and you're just chasing a bunch of women, uh, then you will turn your that'll turn around and you won't be chasing after women for the wrong reasons. You know, you get my drift, or you know, or if you if you smoke and talk, you won't do that anymore because you chance because you want to live a different life because of the change that God is working inside of you. You won't want to do those things anymore. So, so um, you confess your sins, and then you repent of their of their way of life. You repent of your way of life. 
And then you began to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus knew that there would be people who would believe in him based on the testimony of others. John chapter 17, verse 20, for example, before Jesus ascends back in there, before he is crucified, before he's raised from the dead, and before he is ascended into heaven, he stops for a while and he prays to the Father and he says, Father, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So every person, Jesus prayed for those who would believe in him based on the testimony of others. That's where we come in, and we are those that uh, share our faith of who Jesus Christ is and what he did and what God has a desire for us to receive, and that is eternal life, where when we leave this earth in this physical body, in other words, when we die, we won't go to hell, but we'll go to be with the Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus in heaven. So that's and so when we testify, when we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it gives people the opportunity to accept or to reject Jesus Christ. So to what end, you might ask, uh, might we evangelize or must we evangelize? Well, I told you earlier that it is, it is for their eternal life. But let me tell you what eternal life means in the words of Jesus. Here's what, here's what Jesus said, and I, I, I'm repeating some of what I said last Thursday, but we're going to leave here from evangelism, and we're going to go into this, another gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's called pastor-teacher. But here's what Jesus said concerning the, uh, eternal life. He said that they, will, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that they would that the world may believe that you sent me and have loved me, loved them as you have loved me. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have, you gave me, may be with me where I am, that I may behold, that they may behold my glory, which you gave, have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So the end. So to what end do we evangelize? So that we can become one with the Father, and one with our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ, and one with one another as fellow Christians in the body of Christ. That's why we come here. That's the end to which we evangelize. Uh, so from Genesis 3.15, where we have the Proto-Evangelion, uh, which is the first mentioning of the good news of the gospel, uh, where Jesus, where God says that uh, when he talks about the coming of the Messiah uh, and in, in Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 2.22-21, which is the end of the Bible, and until Jesus' second return, everything that God has done, is doing, and will continue to do until that time is designed to afford human beings the opportunity to decide whether they want to enjoy eternal life with him or not. Many times you run across people and you want to have a relationship with you, but they don't want with them, but they don't want to have a relationship with you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. But you, you present yourself in a way that you want to have a, 
a relationship or a friendship with them, but they don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, it's the same with Jesus. All we have to do is be obedient and share our faith about Jesus Christ and then offer them the opportunity to want to have that same relationship with Jesus Christ. They can accept him or they can reject him. But your responsibility is not to save anybody because you can't. I can't. Those who are saved are saved by the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the people that hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and then accept him as their Savior and their Lord. You and I don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in, nor do we have the power to save anyone. Salvation comes through Christ alone, by hearing the word alone. So understand that and realize that uh, it's not about you and I. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's about building God's kingdom in this earth. Uh, so I, I love that, and I, and I just can't get enough of it. So he does not want what has been preserved for demons to be the final spiritual resting place for humanity. What am I talking about? I'm talking about hell. God did not create hell in order for human beings to be us to be exiled, therefore, or banished there for eternity, burning in fire and brimstone. See, that's not why he created us. He created us in his image and in his likeness, which means that we have the intellectual ability to do the things, to be like him, to carry out, to live our lives the way that he wants us to live our lives, in, in praising and glorifying him. It, so many people, I, I, can't, I can't say this enough, I have talked to hundreds of people uh, since, I, since I've given my life to Christ, and I literally hundreds of people have given their lives to Jesus Christ because I humbled myself and submitted myself not for myself, not for building me up, but for, for, for claiming Jesus Christ and building him up. My wife and I have done this for how many years? Over 20 plus years now where we have shared our faith with others, and they have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I, I, I'm excited about this. Here. So he does not want what has been preserved for demons to be the final spiritual resting place for humanity. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, a turning away from the things you used to do and begin to walk and live your life according to the written word of God. Uh, and so that's Second Peter chapter 3, verse 39. So God is not interested in you or anyone for that matter going to hell. He's interested in you enjoying eternal life with him. Hell, again, is designed for Satan and everything else, but not for human beings. The choice is always ours. Why is it our choice? Because God has given us free will. You hear that many people will tell you, they're, they're from the Middle East, for example, they'll tell you that if you don't convert to Islam, we're going to cut your head off. If you don't convert to Islam, we're going to murder everybody that refuses to accept Islam. Well, that's not God's way. God has given us free will. Anyone that tells you that and anyone that threatens to take your life if you don't serve their God, they are trying to take away your free will, your will, your, your right to choose for yourself who you will serve. So, you, so that's, not what, that's not who God is. So you really have to evaluate 
why you believe what you believe. And you have to really evaluate what people are saying. Jesus says, whosoever will, let him come. It is a choice you make, not under duress, not under, not under threat, not under the threat of being murdered if you don't, not under the threat of being beaten. Christianity is not a game. Many people, many people walk around in, in inner cities. If you're not a part of the gang, they will force you to be a part of the gang. If you refuse to be a part of the gang, they will kill you. And here's, the, here's what I love about Jesus. You can come into the kingdom of God. And you can decide for yourself. You can, you know, you, you're in there. You've given them your heart. You love them and everything else. But then a series of events start to take place in your life, unfold in your life, and you decide, well, and then you get pulled away from him. Well, guess what? He's still right there waiting for you. He has not rejected you. He's saying, return to me, old backslider, because I'm, I'm married to you. And that's a beautiful thing. So God, Christ doesn't turn away from you. He doesn't put you down. He doesn't say, I'm going to kill you when you walk away. No, he freely lets you go. And he allows you to decide when you want to come back to him. But it is your choice. And a good example of that is in Hosea. Yes, yes. And you get some time, read Hosea about his wife, Gomer, and how many times she walked away and how many times he loved her. And he kept on loving her, even though she was a prostitute and she went out and prostituted herself. He kept right on receiving her back. He kept going after her because he loved her just that much. And that's the way Jesus is. Jesus says, um, you know, if you have 100 sheep and, and 99 stay put and one wanders off, you go and you, reach, you go after the one that has walked away until you find them and bring them back. Jesus wants you to be in his kingdom. He does not want you to die without having a relationship with him and planning your eternal future. Your eternal future is important. Many people will plan for their retirement from their job so that they can live comfortably and so they, don't, they can continue to maintain their standard of living the life that they've grown accustomed to, and so they put away money, and they do all of these different things for their physical well-being after they retire. Well, you have to do the same thing when it comes to your end of life. Where will you spend eternity? It is your choice, free will, your choice, my choice, our choice. Yes, we are eternal beings, so they have to decide where they want to live eternally. Exactly. And see, the point is this. You can decide, and, and I tell people this all the time, you can decide to accept Jesus Christ or reject him. If you reject Jesus Christ, then you and instantly you've already made your decision. You just said, I'm going to hell. I want to burn in hell for the rest of eternity. I don't care. I'm just living this life, and I don't care about anything else right now. But that's a foolish way to think. If you spend all of your money knowing that you got bills to pay, uh, knowing that you need a roof over your head, knowing that you need money to go to, to catch the bus or to, or to drive your car and to get to keep your car repaired and the upkeep of your house, if you go and spend all your money that you make, knowing that you have all of these responsibilities, children to feed all these things, then, hey, it is not God's fault that you, that you don't have money, that your family is not taken care of, that your house is not cared for, that you can't pay your bills. It's your fault. It's your decision. God will not interfere. He gives you resources, but how you manage those resources, that's up to you. But don't blame somebody else for your condition. And don't look down on 
somebody else because they're doing well and you're not. They had the same opportunities to put away and save, and they did. I, re- I remember what uh, uh, King Solomon says, consider the ant, O slugger. The ant kept the, uh, gathers in the summertime where the food is plenteous, and then they, then they store it up. So when the winter months come, when your old age comes, you have money to rest back on. You have food to take care of yourself. You can live large while you're still unemployed, when you're no longer of working age. That's what he's saying. So that's the same for eternal life. We have to plan for where we want to go, where we want to spend eternity. So although only some people have the gift of evangelism, other believers are not exempt from proclaiming the good news. And all believers are to do the work of evangelism. So says Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 and 10. That is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and verse 20, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and verse 10 of that second chapter of 2 Timothy. Now, before we move forward, are there any questions or any comments? Because I want to move forward to the next uh, spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given us. Yes. Well, what do you say to people that says that you have a special call on your life, so that's why you can evangelize? Well, again, everybody, when every believer is, I believe, is, is, uh, they, when, you, when you accept Jesus Christ, there is instantly a filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is, who is the one that Jesus says will, will lead you into all truth. He will teach you, and he will guide you, and he will bring to your remembrance the things that, that Jesus has mentioned. So every person, has, every believer has the capacity to share their faith. Your testimony, you may not be able to go and say, well, you may not know everything there is to know about what the Bible says about salvation. But what you can say is, what you can do is give your testimony. See, what did Jesus do for you? And you can tell people what he did for you, how he saved you and how he, and what he has done in your life since you've given your life to him, how you used to live and how you live now based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you do. People may want to doubt the word. They may want to doubt everything that you say, but they cannot take away your testimony. They cannot take away what Jesus has done for you personally. So that's why your testimony is so powerful when it comes to sharing your faith with somebody. And let me just add this as well. God will always, always have someone that is able to give a testimony that mirrors the condition of the individual that you're sharing the gospel with. I can attest to that because I remember being in New Orleans and we were out on the street and I tried to share the gospel with this lady that apparently had a drug problem. And she looked and she said she didn't want to hear anything from me. But I had to be humble enough to step back and let the other person that I was training step up to evangelize, to share the gospel with her. And her testimony mirrored her, she, but she would, she didn't receive it from me, but she received it from the other person that was on the team. And then what happened? What did she do after that? She gave her life to Christ. Yeah. yeah. See, that's what I mean. So 
that's the way God is because God, we, we, we say God is omniscient. And what I mean by the word omniscient, meaning that God knows every single thing. Every human being, David says, before one word forms on my mouth you and on my tongue, you know it already. So God looks into the heart of every human being, and he knows what they're thinking. He knows what motivates them. He knows why they do. In other words, he knows why they do what they do. But God still tolerates us. Why does he tolerate us? Because he loves us, and he doesn't want us to be destroyed. I can't stress that enough. God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus didn't have to come down from heaven. He could have just stayed there. But he came down and took on a human body, and he suffered through the same temptations and trials that we did. We might think that we just started when we in the 21st century or the 20th century or 19th century. But cavemen used to walk outside the cave and just pull off some and start chewing on it. So don't tell me that. And so you think we just started? No, no, no. We didn't just start. I mean, we just been around forever. We just, we just get in there. We think that that's it. You know, we we live in large, man. We think we're doing something. No, no, we're not. It's always been there. Now let's shift, if we can, from uh, from the gift of evangelism. <laughs> To the gift of pastor, teacher, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, anybody want to read? And that was our opening scripture, but I want to give somebody an opportunity to read. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I just thought I'd put it out there. If not, I'll read it. I love reading anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Yes. And he... Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Listen, before before delving deep into this subject, let me first bring our attention to the word some. That in that verse, he gave some. Notice how the word some precedes apostle, precedes prophet, precedes evangelist, and then precedes pastor and pastors and teachers. Uh, so each one separate, but when you come to some pastors and teachers, notice that they are together and not apart, not separate, separated by the word psalm. Uh, so before delving deep into the subject, let me just point out some things to the word psalm. Those words, this word does not speak of a specific number of individuals, nor does it in any way imply all. From the very beginning of the verse, we observe the specificity or the specificness with which Paul speaks. Paul said, he himself gave some to be. I love that. He himself gave some to be. The he himself that Paul is referring to is Christ. Now, you might ask the question, well, how do you know that? How did you come to that conclusion? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. To reach the conclusion that Christ is the one Paul is speaking of as the giver of the gifts, we observe in verses 7 and 8 what Paul says. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts now, I want to, what I'd like to do is I want to break this verse down. I want to break this verse down. 
So can we do that? These two verses now. Can I break them down real quick? I don't know how quick it'll be, but I want to do this. Now, take notes now. Here's the first observation. First, Paul uses the phrase, but to each one of us. But to each one of us. This is a transition from what Paul just finished saying. He just finished talking about the unity of believers in verse 6. And he just finished talking about the uniqueness of believers when he says each one. So each one of us are uniquely created by God and uniquely designed for a specific purpose in mind. Each of us has been given a specific gift that God has uh, God, if by his own, in his own infinite wisdom, has decided that we should have in order that we may carry out the work of the ministry here on earth. So, uh, and here's the second thing. First, is Paul uses but to each of us. Then he uses the second word that Paul uses in this in in this first verse in this uh, seven verses. He uses the word grace. He uses the word grace. We understand this word to mean we to to mean we have extended to us unmerited favor. We don't deserve this favor that God has given us. We don't deserve to live, but the grace of God is affording us the opportunity, the privilege of continuing to live, even though we have not lived a life in a way that des- that deserves for us to continue to receive this grace. But it is unmerited. But here, now that's the standard use of the word. But here Paul is using this one word to describe the gospel, the good news of God's offering salvation to sinful and unworthy mankind. That used to be me. That used to be me, a sinful, unworthy individual. I have, and, and to this day, I cannot understand what it is about me that God saw in me that he would save me, give me eternal life. I don't understand it. Why would he call me to be a pastor? I don't understand it. But I do know that that is my gift. That is my gift. And so he put that in me, and he made that decision long before he created me and put me in the earth. But that was his decision, not mine, because if you asked me, I never would have been a pastor. It never crossed my mind. I used to sit in church and laugh at the preachers when they were preaching. I used to cuss up in the church. I used to get down in the basement and be on the piano playing Iron Butterfly, secular music in the church. So I'm, if you ask me if I, had, if I deserve to be a pastor, no. If you ask me if I deserve to be saved, no. But God chose me and God called me and I accepted that call. It's just that simple. So I never, I, I, I'm one of those individuals that never assume more than I ought to assume. In other words, even when I was a senior officer in the military, I never walked into a place and, and decided I'm going to sit a certain location. I always wait until I'm invited. Even in the church, even though I was an elder, I had the right, you know, I could have walked up and sat here or sat there, but I chose to sit where I sat and people invited me up. I never took it upon myself to think that I'm so much that I can do this or I can do that. Never. Never. Because I don't, because in my opinion, I'm not chasing after anything. I'm not chasing after position. I'm not chasing after people's money. I'm not chasing after people. I'm not chasing after them at all for personal gain. 
And what I am chasing after them for is the opportunity for them to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the only time you'll see me chasing after somebody. I chase after my wife, but I got her. I keep chasing after yeah, I, hope I keep chasing after her, but that's about it. I ain't chasing nobody so. else. Look at that. Anyway, let me move on. Because we're getting way too far here. But that's great. Here Paul uses the word to describe the gospel, the good news of God, offering salvation to sinful and unworthy mankind. God is the God of grace because he is a God who freely gives. His giving has nothing to do with anything we have done. So Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace are you saved, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, just any man's vote. So if you do it, you will brag about what you've done. So when God gives you eternal life, you realize that it's nothing that you have done to earn it. What you have done is everything that you have done is to say that you don't deserve it because of the kind of lifestyle you live in, because of the kind of lifestyle I live. But God gave it by his free will. His giving, again, has nothing to do with anything we have done, but is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved. Lord have mercy. I don't know if you've got that, but, but our salvation is un- and the grace that God extends to us is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved. You'll never be able to do anything to receive it at all. It is just God's love being poured out to his creation for the purpose of affording you and I the opportunity to enter into a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus says in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way. You can't come to the Father through me because I didn't die on the cross for you. You can't come to the Father by Mary because she just gave birth to Jesus. She was not. She was a sinner herself. God chose her grace again. It is the grace of God at work in sinners' lives. Titus 3, 5 says, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Lord have mercy. So, and I know that I'm talking about pastor teacher, and 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 you can tell I'm in my mode right now. <laughs> but that grace thing just got me, boy. It, it really just it gets to me. And then here's the third thing Paul makes mention of or reference to. He uses the phrase the measure of Christ's gift. The measure of Christ's gift. Every human being has a specific God-given gift. This gift you have wasn't received because you chose it. It was, wasn't received because someone else chose you for it. Your gift was chosen and given by the creator God, meaning your gift was given by the sovereign will and design of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, I'm sorry, chapter I'm sorry, chapter twelve, verse seven. Ah, man, I got I was typing so fast today just trying to get it all done down here. But first Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven tells us that the purpose for each gift 
Is it so that the possessor of the gift can singularly benefit from it, but rather your gift and mine are for a much broader purpose? It's, it's way beyond. It's our gift that God has given us is goes beyond us. It's not just for our purpose. I, don't, I, I, I hope you can understand that. It's not just for your purpose that God has given you this gift, but rather your gift and mine are for a much broader purpose. That is for the profit of all. Verse 12, chapter 7, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, says that the gift that the Holy Spirit has given unto us is for the profit of all. This means God, by his Holy Spirit, works in believers by their gifts to benefit or to serve the entire Christian body, that is the church. Verses 25 and 26 of First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 says that there should be no schism. That word schism means division, separation of, uh, because of falling apart in the body, but that the members should have the same, have some care for one another. Profit of all. We are responsible for trying to help those who are members of the body of Christ. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer. Let me ask you a question. Yes, go ahead. I was going to say, in my, my mind, if people would really get a hold of that, then you wouldn't have 20% of the people in church doing 80% of the work. Lord, have mercy. That's, good. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> if, you, if you're walking around the house barefoot and you stump your toe on something, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh. For you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember, I remember the days when I used to let go of words, for I tell you. But the point is, when that, when that, when I, when I stuck my toe, it hurt and it just went all through my body. You know what I mean? So it wasn't just my foot that was affected. My head was affected. My, affected. my mouth was affected because all that stuff came out of my mouth. Blink, blink. <laughs> yeah, that's the point I'm trying to make. So your whole body, so if one suffers uh, with it, then other members are going to suffer as well. So if one member is honored, then all. So now let me tell you something. Let me, let me, do, this, let me do it this way. If you have a pair of shoes and they're too small, how does that affect the rest of your body? You get a car. <laughs> yeah, but what else do what else you do? You're miserable, aren't you? But when you get a comfortable pair of shoes that fit the way they're supposed to fit, and when you walk, your, your feet aren't scrunched up and you're not hurting and in pain, how do you feel? You feel good and comfortable. That's what I'm talking about. So so if one is honored, then your whole body, if your feet is honored, then your, if your feet are honored, then your whole body is going to be honored because everything is moving like it's supposed to, and you got that step in your step, and you got that glide in your stride, and you got all those things working together for you. Your head feels good. You're not talking about, oh, my feet killing me. Oh, my oh my goodness. No, you're feeling good, and that's what we're talking about. And so you just, your whole body just rejoice. In other words, your body just responds in kind to the, to the gratitude, for the gratitude, with feet. gratitude that your feet ain't hurting no more. That's what I'm talking about. I just want to try and keep it simple. So what we glean from these two verses is that when God assigns you to a church, you are to use your God-given gift to serve in the, to, in the advancement of that church. This in addition to sharing your faith, which every believer is called to do. So I don't want you to miss out on that. And to, 
to be envious of others' gifts is wrong. You don't envy somebody else's gifts. You thank God for your gifts, and you build your gifts up. Learn how to use your gifts, and you build up your gifts, and you perfect your gifts so that the whole body can benefit from the gifts that you have. But if you get all hung up on somebody else's gifts, when you, and that tells God you're not appreciative of your gift, which tells God that you're not mature yet, that you're still an immature Christian, that you still have a lot more growing to do. Once you know who you are, once you know what your gifts are, the gift is or are, then you work. Then you work hard. Then you work hard to, to, to learn this and, pre- and prepare you and perfect your gift. But it's not to envy somebody else because that's what the world does. We celebrate everybody's gift. We pat people on the back. We lift them up. We encourage them in their gifts. We don't just, oh, stick our lips out and walk around like, man, who do they think they are? Think they this and that. No, 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 no. We celebrate. So what God has given you is no mistake and is no less important than the other gifts within the body of Christ. If a member of the body is ill, we should do all we can to help him or her. Freely you have received, freely you give. Here's the fourth thing that Paul mentions in this um, in this um, in this eleventh verse of uh, I'm sorry, not the eleventh verse, but um, what he talks about in the seventh and eighth verse, the grace uh, of of this chapter that I'm talking about. The fourth thing he says is Paul makes reference to Psalm 68 and 18 when he ascended on high. By Christ's ascension into heaven indicates his triumphant victory over Satan and sin and his authority to bestow spiritual gifts, verse 7. So Psalm 68 is a victory hymn of King David to commemorate or celebrate God's conquest over the Jebusite city, Jerusalem, and the triumphant rise of God to Mount Zion. You'll find that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 through 16. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 through 16. I have 15 more minutes, and I know it sounds like I'm racing, but I'll slow down a little bit so that you can get these these scriptures, and you can go back and you can study them for yourself. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 through 16, and then 2 Samuel chapters 6 and 7, and also 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 4 through 9, and chapters 13 through 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 4 through 9, uh, and, um, and, uh, verses, um, uh, and verses and chapters 13 and 16. So after such a victory, the king would bring home the spoils, and the prisoners. So here Paul gives us a, a word picture of Jesus returning from his battle on earth back into glory, where he said he ascended on high. He's, rescind, he's going back to glory. He fought the battle here on earth. He, he's defeated every, everything the enemy had to throw at him. He has overcome it all. He has defeated the enemy. And now that he has done his work in the earth, he can ascend. Let's, you know, I wasn't going to go here, but let's do this real quick. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, because I love what Jesus is praying in John chapter 17. Turn your Bible to John chapter 17. I just, I, I want to just read some of the, uh, some of it because I, I love what Jesus says here, and and it's important 
and it gives credence to what I just said. He's done what he's supposed to do. He's finished his race. He's, he's, he's done everything that God sent him there to do. And so now he's saying it's time for me to come back. And let me just read what it says here. I'm going to start at verse 1. John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should be that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. Here's what I want to get to. He says, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus voluntarily came down from his throne in heaven to live the way we did, the way we live, in order that he may have, so that we may understand, he may be able to identify with us from a human level. In fact, I thank you. I'm going to run over here. Uh, and if I get if I sound winded because I'm running, I'm going to run over here to the book of Hebrews real quick uh, because I, I want to just I want to just jog around this word just a little bit here because it's just <clears throat> he finished the work. Um, uh, we, we're teaching a, a series in this book starting on Sunday morning, but let me just read to you um, uh, part B of uh, chapter eight on through. Um, I mean, chapter 2, verse, part B of verse 8 and 9. And then I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get back to our, our message here, our teaching. Here's what he says. For in that he put all in subjection unto him, he left nothing that is not put unto him. But now we have, now we do not yet see all things put unto him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, why? That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one. Every one of us, Jesus died for us. So he had to personal, he personally experienced every single thing that you and I experienced. He he had he got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got sleepy, he got this, he got abused, he got falsely accused. He got falsely arrested. He was falsely uh, uh, tried, uh, illegally tried, and he was illegally executed. And he didn't do anything except preach the word of God. He didn't do anything but heal people. He didn't do anything but raise people from the dead. And he chastised those who were not doing what they were supposed to do, and they were in a position of leadership, and yet they were misleading the people. They wanted to walk around in their fancy clothes with the tassels on their clothes and, making, and, and, you know, sitting in the high places because they thought they were all of that in a bag of chips. But listen, Jesus came just like you and I, just like you and I, and he suffered just like you and I suffered with temptations, with all those things. He too suffered. So I just want you to understand um, that, 
that we're in this together. Jesus, I mean, I just, I love him. I love him. And we were talking about this fourth thing where he ascended into heaven and he led captivity. He ascended on high, meaning he did all the work that he was supposed to do, and then he ascended and he is seated at the right hand. So after such a victory, the king would bring home the spoils and the prisoners. Here Paul gives us a word picture of Jesus returning from his battle on earth back into the glory of the heavenly city with the trophies of his great victory over Calvary. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Now thanks be to God, who always leads uh, lead us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are so we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is, su- who is sufficient for these things? Well, Christ is sufficient. Before I move on, I just want to touch on that, and there's a lot here, but I don't have the time to go through it all, but, but I'm going to, I want to really deal with this verse, but I can't deal with it now, but I'm just trying to get on with teaching, so, but before I do, I want to touch on just a part of it. Let me touch briefly on this 14th verse. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What struck me was the, the drastic shift from his own issues to giving God glory. You know, uh, go to Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. See, Paul is complaining about something. Paul is uneasy. He's He's not, he's not feeling it, but uh, something, but, but all of a sudden, not, all of a sudden, he just shifts. He just makes a, he just makes a shift. Look at that verse, 14th verse. Um, let me go back up to that 13th verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but I'm going to go to that 13th verse. And here's, and the, here's what Paul says. And it says, Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit. Because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. And then verse 14 says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I want to just touch on that right there, because this is important. I noticed, you see, and Paul just has a shift all of a sudden uh, when, when he when he's feeling that, feeling self-pity, he, he is unsure of himself. He, and he's, you know, and just, he's, just cons- he's just concerned about something. And so right in the midst of his anxiety, he starts to give God the glory. He realized that his anxiety or his concern or his uneasiness about his concurrent situation must not be so consuming that God is not praying. Suddenly, without warning, Paul turns his attention to the one who was more important. 
important than the unrest he was experiencing in his spirit. We can we can all learn from Paul's shift. How many of you walking around right now that have a relationship with Christ, don't have a relationship with Christ? How many of you are walking around concerned about how you're going to make ends meet, how you're going to do this, how you're going to do that, so much more so that you can't even enjoy life because you're all bowed down by the, by the cares of this life. Well, Paul says, hey, wait a minute, let me go back here a minute. I remember when I was here. I remember when I was there. I remember this. I remember that, and I remember how God brought me out of all of it. And I know that God has called me for a purpose, and God says this is my purpose, and I know I'm not going to. So I'm going to praise God. I'm not going to worry about my situation. I'm not going to worry about my condition. I'm going to give it all to God who says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust him. Paul just began to worship God. He takes a 180-degree turn and says, whoa, wait a minute. Thanks be to God. Huh. And so he begins to just worship God. And so too often we hold on to our issues like God is unable to deal with them. But notice Paul's immediate celebration occurred by with, with the mentioning of a specific reason. It doesn't he doesn't give a reason why initially why he just started to shout. But as you study the word of God, if you begin to study um, the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, you'll draw you'll come to Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses five and six. And then you'll understand why he just shifted all of a sudden and began to just praise God. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses five and six. So we learn why he broke out in praise. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. What do you mean by the coming of Titus? Well, the, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or somewhere in that neighborhood, Paul has sent, has sent a letter by Titus concerning a, a gentleman who had said or done something that was unpleasant, and Paul begins to, and Paul sends a letter uh, to instruct them on how they are to behave. And, and, and so Titus was gone so long, Paul was concerned. He hadn't heard from him in a while, and he was wondering if, if Titus made it. And we find that Titus did. So, uh, so it, it appears that during Paul's visit in Corinth, I'm going to read it out the way I've had it written out here, a young man had deeply offended him. He sent Titus to Corinth with a letter, the contents we're not privy to, and quite, the sum, and quite some time had passed where Paul hadn't heard from Titus. And so quite naturally he was concerned. But then when Titus appeared to him before from Corinth with good news about the treatment of the offender, the person who had mistreated Paul, and Paul apparently wrote the letter to tell them they need to learn to forgive, he sent the letter to them. Okay, I have one, two, two minutes, and I'm going to be finished here, and we'll have to carry pick up next week where I'll leave off at tonight. Uh, and so he, he was happy about that, and so he received good news from Titus, about how the Corinthians received this news and how they treated the offender and then the manner in which the first letter had been received. And so he was overcome with joy, and then he glorified God. That's why he said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. So Paul regarded the Corinthians' response as God's triumphant act. The fragrance about which Paul speaks 
is analogous to the vision of a Roman general's victory over the enemy. That fragrance. Picture, if you will, the crowds gathering along both sides of the road, and they're throwing flowers and burning incense as the triumphant generals enter into this, enter into Rome victoriously. And the army walking on the, and the horses trampling underfoot the flowers that and crushing them and releasing their sweet odor. It was a time of rejoicing for the enemy had been defeated. Through Jesus' crucifixion, he conquered Satan and death and in triumph returned to God whose 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 who were once sinners and prisoners of Satan. God, Jesus, has triumphed over them. And then so Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus Christ triumphed over Satan, and he triumphed over death. When we get to the end of the book, we'll find that both Satan and death and the grave are thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. There is no more use for them. No more use for them. Why? Because Jesus Christ, God, because everyone that that has given their life to Christ is now free from all of that. And the world has now been cleansed of all of that. Uh, and there is no more sin. There is no more hunger. There are no more sicknesses. There is no more pain. There is no more hurt. And let me close with this fifth point that I wanted to make for this scripture, and then we'll, we'll pick up here next week. Fifth is and that, and, he, and gave gifts to men. Jesus is the one that gave gifts to men. So Jesus distributed the spiritual the spoils throughout his kingdom. After his ascension came all the spiritual gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit who was then sent. You'll find that in John chapter 7, verse 39. That is John chapter 7, verse 39. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 12. That is John chapter 14, verse 12. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Well, I want to deal with this pastor teacher some more next week. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of it uh, next week. Uh, but uh, I wanted to just lay this foundation just to clarify some things that can give you an understanding. But what I love about the Word of God is that when we get into the Word of God and begin to really see for ourselves, um, that's where we grow and that's where we learn. Uh, I'm just reminded of Jesus, and then I'm going to be finished, I promise you. I'm reminded of Jesus at the with the woman at the well. Jesus says, uh, she says, I know that Messiah cometh. Uh, and he says, I will speak to you am he. And then as he said that, then his, his disciples showed up. And she ran off. She left the water pot and she ran off into the city. and said, come see a man that told me everything ever I've done. Is this the Christ? Is this not the Christ? Uh, and so when the people came in, came from the city out to the well, Jacob's well, uh, and they, where Jesus was sitting, they, they heard, they asked him to stay, and he stayed a few days, and he ministered to them. And when they had finished ministering to them, they turned to the woman and said, we, first we believe because of your word, but now we believe because we have heard him for ourselves. You have to come to know Jesus Christ for yourself. You so you can hear me teach it. You can hear other preachers, other preachers preaching and teaching, but you have to come to know him for yourself. Don't, do not deprive yourself of the privilege of reading his word. 
The word of God is a privilege and is an honor for each of us to be able to read and to get into because it speaks to us about God, but it also speaks to us about who we are. We find our true self in God. That's who we find our true self in. And so we won't walk around with a false self trying to figure out who we are, trying to be this person and that person, trying to live this way and that way. When we learn about who we are, what our, who we are, our true selves are, then we can go, then we can begin to live life the way God wants us to live life, the way God intended us for, to live life. Well, after hearing this word, there may be one, and you don't know Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's ready to forgive you of your sins right now. If you don't have a church home and you want to become a part of Jesus Christ's ministries, global, we love to have you. If you're a backslider, you had that relationship with God, but somehow you fell out of fellowship with him, he's, we said it earlier, he's married to the backslider, so return to him because he will forgive you. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He'll do it, and he'll do it now. And finally, if you're in need of prayer, we love to pray for you tonight before we conclude um, our service. In any of these areas, we welcome you. Uh, if, if there anyone on the call who needs, uh, would like to become a member of this ministry, want to give their life to Jesus Christ first and foremost, become a part of this ministry, or in the or want to return to Jesus after walking away from Him, or to or you want special prayer in either of these areas, I'm listening. Okay, so. Um, well, join us here next Thursday at the same time. Uh, and uh, if, uh, if, you, if you're on the call and you want to just tell us your name, and uh, uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to just welcome you, whoever you are. It's me. Marie, okay. Uh, Braylon. Braylon. And Loretta. And Loretta. Get out of God. There's <laughs> another Virginia on the line. Jimmy Rudolph. Anyone else? Jimmy Rudolph and, and Blue Bean. Who? I'm sorry? Jimmy Rudolph and Blue Bean. Well, welcome. Um, are, are there any prayer requests? Any comments? I want to add something to what we said tonight because I want to, I I try to pride myself on being timely because I know you have other things you need to do and it's, you had a long day and I don't want to keep you longer than uh, necessary. Well, hi, Miss Marie. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How about yourself? Hey, I won't complain. <laughs> well. Hey, 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 Hello, how you doing? We need to talk. Yes, ma'am. I got to Come on, please. All right, well, let me finish my thing here so you guys can talk. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being used of you to share your word with others. We ask the Lord God that you will call these words that have been spoken tonight to take root in our hearts and uh, begin to grow, Lord God, and form us into the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we ask that you keep each and every member on this call and their family members, Lord God, from hurt, harm, and danger, that you give comfort where comfort is needed, that you give strength where strength is needed, 
that you give assurance, Lord God, where there is doubt, and that you, Lord God, provide finances where finances are needed. God, we thank you that you supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's why we can cast all our cares upon you, because you care for us. And if there's anything that we need, Lord, you said that we can come, not to be anxious for it, but to come to you, Lord God, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, uh, make known our requests unto you, and that your peace, which transcends all our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds uh, through Christ Jesus. So we thank you tonight that you alone are God, and you alone are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We honor you tonight. We bless your name. We give glory to you in Christ Jesus, our Lord's name. Amen. Now unto him, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Have a blessed one. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.